Well, we continue our series, Not Yet Christmas, and I'm kind of glad it's not quite yet because I don't have all my shopping done. There's still a lot to do to prepare and, and get ready. When we began this series a few weeks ago, we started with the word hope. You heard that mentioned in the lighting of the Advent wreath. You know, in this season, we reflect upon the fact that Jesus came as a baby, but we also live in that hope and that promise that he will come again. And when he does, we live in that hope that the brokenness of our lives in this world will be made new again. The second week, Pastor Jeff delivered a message on peace. He invited us through the message to discover peace that comes from the presence of God between us and God, but also between us and each other. On the third week, last week, we had the joy to behold our Savior's birth through beautiful lyrics, the music, the drama of the musical. And in this day, I have the honor to stand before you and speak of a joy through the message of the shepherds. We hear the word joy a lot, and especially this time of year. I'm standing in the grocery line, and I see magazines with the word joy on them, joy to the world, and then they're telling you how to relieve stress, how to make your Christmas meal simple and easy, how to even create gifts simply and easy. But it's a world that is full of sometimes the wrong kind of joy. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Christmas Vacation. It's a classic. And my prayer for you this day is you don't feel joy the way Eddie, Clark Griswold's brother, did when he brought Eddie's boys, boss tied and gagged uh, to Clark's house. Eddie's heart, he was trying to do something joyful, but it just wasn't the right way, was it? I would offer to us another kind of joy this season of actually experiencing the wonder in a child's eyes this time of year. And these are my two smallest granddaughters. They're twins, Harper and Finley. And on Thanksgiving night, I had the joy, they're pops, my husband Michael, had the joy of seeing them decorate the tree. And they did drop a few baubles and they broke, but look at the wonder and joy in their eyes. And oh, what a joy it was for us too. And by the way, they had their little church daycare performance Friday night and they both had parts. And um, Harper, the one on the far distance, got to say, Merry Christmas at the very end. So. There she is, already in front of a crowd. Um, if I'm honest, and probably for some of you too, if you're honest, in this season in particular, we allow many things, my friends, to steal our joy. To steal our joy. What could those things be? Well, they could be broken relationships. Could be a broken marriage, a marriage in difficulty. It could be a relationship that's broken between siblings, siblings, brothers and sisters. It could be a relationship that's broken in the employee-employer setting, like with the Griswold situation. It could be a broken relationship 
in our neighborhood with a neighbor or a friend. It could be a medical issue that's stealing our joy. As I've looked out over the congregations this morning, I can't help but know and think and reflect on a number of you that are battling some things medically, going through treatments for cancer, waiting for a diagnosis, preparing for a surgery to come. And then there's grief, isn't there? There's some of you who recently have lost a brother, a dad, another family member, someone that you love. And it doesn't matter if that grief was a few days ago, a few weeks, a few months, a few years ago. At this time of year especially, it can steal our joy in the midst of that grief. I ran across this definition for joy, and I'd love to read it to you now to set the stage for this message. Joy is a state of mind and an orientation of the heart, a choice we make to be joyful regardless of our circumstances. It doesn't matter what we're going through. There is a joy joy that is available to us. Let's look at an, an example of this through the happenings of the shepherds that night. Now, the shepherds were out tending their flocks, right? Who were the shepherds? Well, in Jesus' time, the shepherds were considered the lowest people on the social ladder, They were considered unclean because of the work that they did, tending and caring for the sheep. They were untrustworthy. Many of them were. That's why Jesus called himself what? Yell it out. The good shepherd, right. Some of them weren't so good. They were not influential. They weren't wealthy. They would have been the last people that you or I or even the people in that time would have thought that God would have asked to go see the new baby and tell it to others. They were the first ones. Yet, I remember this scripture from 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 28. Hear it again. Paul writes at the inspiration of God, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are This tells us, my friends, that God can and does speak through and to anyone at any time he pleases. On that night, the shepherds were working their their job, probably minimum wage, when an angel spoke to them. There was a significant message from the angel to the shepherds first. The angel said, 
do not be afraid. Now, wait a minute. The scripture just said they were terrified, right? Think about it. Wouldn't you be too? You're out in the fields tending the sheep, and then these alien beings appear. Wouldn't you be terrified? But quickly, the angel said, good news of great joy that a Savior is born today. The Christ child is to be found in Bethlehem in a manger. Say, what? What would their initial response have been? Do you think they knew the prophecies of old? Do you think they were well-versed in those? I don't know. The scripture's silent on that, but Isaiah 9, 6 reminds us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then Isaiah 7, 1, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Now notice in that Isaiah 7, here yet God again <laughs> used an unlikely person, a virgin, a maiden, she wasn't very old, to be the mother of our Lord and Savior. God does what God wants to do with who God wants to do it with. After the shepherds heard, they had a decision to make. Have you ever wondered if you were one of those shepherds in that time? I have. What would I have done? Would I have questioned the message? This can't be true. Would I have said, I can't leave my job. I can't walk off the field and leave the sheep. I'm tired. I've been on a long shift. I don't have time to stop now and go see this baby you're telling me about. Maybe sometime in the future, I'll do it. Excuses. But you know what? The shepherds didn't make excuses. So what did the shepherds do and what did they find? Number one, in the field, as they were tending their sheep, they were available to hear God's voice and call to them. How many times in our busy lives, particularly this season, might God be speaking to us in some way and we just don't hear it because all the noise and the distractions, the sorrow, the frustrations, the whatever we're going through, we don't hear his voice. We don't make ourselves available to hear God's voice. Second, they responded appropriately to the message that they heard. They stepped out in faith. They didn't make excuses. In fact, the scripture said they hurried. They hurried to the manger to see the baby Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And they told on their way back to the fields, Anyone who would hear them, who would listen to them, they told of what they had heard, what they had seen, and people were amazed. And then they were changed. No, they were still shepherds. They went back to that minimum wage job in that cold outdoor environment, but they were changed. They had a change of heart because, you see, they had had an encounter with the Lord 
Jesus Christ. And we know if you read on, and I invite you to read the rest of that passage in verse 20, that they worshiped and they praised the Lord when they returned to the fields. These shepherds experienced a joy that the world cannot give. Regardless of their circumstances, they were able to receive Christ's joy. Joy is when we embrace the plans that God has for us. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, interruptions are not obstacles to our plan. They are opportunities for us to embrace God's plan. Let me read that again. I love it. Interruptions are not obstacles to our plan. They are opportunities for us to embrace God's plan. I believe C.S. Lewis. I believe it from the depths of who I am because you see, it happened to me. I got one of those interruptions. Some of you know, many of you don't know, that on July the 30th of this year, my husband, Michael, had a massive heart attack mowing our front yard. The doctors at Lexington Hospital said they don't know how he lived through that. They don't know how he lived a couple of days later. He had had two previous heart attacks a couple of years before. They call them silent heart attacks. So he already had two blocked arteries that he didn't even know about, and this one blew everything out. So they put a little temporary pump in his heart. They call it an impella. And he stayed at Lexington Hospital for three days. And they told him and me, there's nothing else we can do. If you want to live, you need to go to Duke Hospital in Durham, North Carolina. And so he did. We ended up flying him there because it was just too risky for a drive. And within hours after arriving, he was on a heart-lung machine. And three days later, he received something called an LVAD. It's a left ventricular assist device. And basically, the left side of his heart had died. And so the pump took over. But he had other medical problems after that. He had a stroke. He had pneumonia. He had kidney failure. He had liver failure. He had a bad gallbladder. And things just kept going down and down and down. I didn't, I couldn't leave his side. Of course not. We've been married 47 years. I didn't eat. I had no appetite. After about a week, I saw that all they had him on was some IV fluid. And mama always told me food was good for healing. So as the doctors came around, I second-guessed them and said, aren't y'all going to feed my husband something through like a temporary IV tube that could go down into his stomach? And, you know, I could see him making notes, but nothing happened. Well, two weeks went by, and one Saturday morning, the patient and family advocate, Ellen, precious woman, came into the room. She said, Miss Stevens, you need to leave this room. You need to get outside and get some fresh air walk up the street, three blocks up the street is a little shopping center. There's several little restaurants there. You can walk there and get something and just get a break. You've got your phone, 
will call you. Please do that. So reluctantly, I did. I left my husband, and I walked up the street. I got a little tiny salad. I gobbled it down real quick, and I walked fast. So I started walking fast to head back to the hospital. And there was a Chipotle's in that restaurant that, um, I don't know if all of them are like this or not, but they had little wrought iron tables and chairs out front. And as I walked by hurriedly, I heard a voice from the side. It was a man's voice. And it said, hello, ma'am. And something, something inside of me said, stop. It was the Holy Spirit. I know that now. And I turned aside and I looked. And there a man sat at a little table all alone. Again, a nudge. I felt I needed to walk over to him. I don't know why except the Holy Spirit. And so I did, and I said, hello, sir, how are you today? And he said, well, I'd be a lot better if I could get one of those burritos in Chipotle's. I said, I tell you what, come on, let's go in, let's get you a burrito. And so we walked in and he did. He got one of those big ones, you know, they wrap up and you could, they could hardly get it closed. He got everything on it and some water and he got it to go. He wanted to go back outside and sit at his little table and eat. And again, a nudge to me. Remember, I'm in a hurry to get back to my Michael. God spoke to me and said, sit down with him. And so I did. And so we struck up a conversation and he shared with me that he was homeless. That he had made his way back to Durham from California after his mom had died and he he said, ma'am, I work when I can, and, and I get a little bit of money, but it's hard. I said, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. But something made me ask him, do you know Jesus? He said, I know who he is. I said, let me ask it another way. If something happened to you tonight, sir, would you know without a shadow of a doubt that you would go to heaven and be with Jesus. And this is what he said, I hopes so. I said, well, that's not good enough. Would you like to be sure? He said, oh, ma'am, I would. And tears welled up in his eyes. And so I spent the next few minutes with him, talking to him about Jesus and the free gift of salvation. And it's available to him. And Pastor Jeff uses the steps to peace quite a bit. And I remembered that. And so I, I used the steps of peace with him. And I said, are you ready? Are you ready to accept Christ as your Savior? And he said, oh, yes, ma'am, I'm ready. So I led him in that prayer that salvation prayer, and he wept, and I wept, and I was filled with joy, and I challenged him to go and share, share salvation with others that he may meet, whether it's the homeless or if he got back on his feet, which I hope he did, share other places as well. And I said to him next, sir, I need to leave. My husband's very ill, and I'm not sure he's going to make it. Will you pray for him? Yes, ma'am, I'll pray for your husband. I said, thank you. And by the way, I have forgotten to ask you your name. And he said, my name is Michael. I was stunned. 
Was this Michael the angel? Was this Michael the homeless man? I don't know. I just know that God had a plan for me today, that day. He wanted me to stop, amen? He wanted me to stop in my tracks and do some ministry and serve in a new way. I was convicted, my friends, when I got back that I was going to try to serve where I was up there. But the story doesn't end because, you see, as I walked back in my husband's room, guess what I found? He had a feeding tube <laughs> while I was feeding Michael a burrito. The hospital was feeding my husband some liquid nourishment. But there was another kind of feeding that was more important that day because I, through the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, was able to feed Michael, the homeless man or angel, the spiritual food that he needed. Amen? And I was able to receive some spiritual food that day that I needed. Pastor Faye needed it. I was sitting up there in a pity party and helpless to do anything with my husband. But you know what? Pastor Jeff told me later. He said, Faye, you became the resident chaplain in the ICU unit up there. So I'll receive that, Pastor Jeff. I did come alongside families that were waiting for a real heart. And sometimes it would be the last minute, the night before, and we'd be praying, oh, Lord, if it's your will, give us a heart. The next morning, they'd run in screaming and yelling and happy. We've got a heart, Pastor Faye. Let's pray a celebration. I also came alongside some families at end of life because everybody in that unit doesn't make it, the young nor the old. One night, Pastor Jeff called me to check on Mike and, and me, and I said, Jeff, oh, I, I miss y'all. I miss the church. I miss doing my ministry down there. Do you think I could make some phone calls or something like that up here? I want to. I want to call visitors and welcome them to this loving, precious church that's been so wonderful to Mike and to me and our family. And he said, okay, if you're up to it, do it. That gave me joy. It gave me joy in the midst of unknowns and sadness. Joy, real joy. And in the midst of all that, the feeding of the two Michaels, the coming alongside the families up there, I realized three things that I'd like to share with you this morning. The first is awe produces joy. Awe produces joy. You see, the shepherds were in awe of the angels. The shepherds were in awe of seeing baby Jesus and Mary and, and, and Joseph, and they couldn't help but share with whoever would listen. I was in awe that God stopped me in my tracks, in my busyness to say, Faye, you can serve in Durham, North Carolina, in Duke Hospital, in the IC unit, ICU unit, as well as you can serve in the building of Mount Horeb. Action sustains joy. Action sustains joy. As I stepped out and stepped into a new ministry up there, it sustained me. It sustained me in a way that only God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, could sustain me. 
action sustained joy for the shepherds too. Yes, they went and beheld the baby and Mary and Joseph, but they didn't stop there. They went and told the story. They were evangelists. The third thing I learned was adoration stimulates joy. If you've ever been on the Duke campus, there is an absolutely beautiful Duke chapel with a, with a pipe organ and a wonderful choir. And so I would worship there when I could. I also went to the little tiny chapel inside the hospital. and would pray and praise my God for every day of life that God gave my husband because he truly is a miracle four times over. So the shepherds and myself, and I hope you can realize that there is joy. There is joy to be had from Jesus Christ, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter where you find yourself. What about you today? Is there something stealing your joy? I hope not. I hope you can say this is a joyful season. The family's doing great. We're going to have a wonderful Christmas. Oh, that would warm my heart to know that. But I know that in a congregation this size, there's somebody, there's some people that have had their joy stolen. You're busy, you're beaten down, you're bewildered, you're financially broke. The demands you're feeling on your family and on yourself have literally ripped the joy right out of you. I have good news for you today. And that is that the joy that Jesus Christ can give is yours. I promise you, if it hasn't begun in your life, it can. As you listen for him to speak to you, as you serve, as he is calling you to, sometimes in new ways, as you praise him for the glory and the majesty that he is. My question for you this day is what steps do you need to take to encounter Jesus Christ either for the first time, like Michael, the homeless man, or the angel, or re-experience Christ in a new way. Encounter Jesus and experience his joy. Oh, how I pray for that for each of you this day. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen and amen.